Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends or people who should be watching the show but aren't or can't, tell them to go to www.hotm, Heart of the Matter, hotm.tv, and they can look at the streaming video there, watch all past shows, see things about it, whatever you want to do, but uh, streaming video there at hotm.tv. Uh, listen, again, a quick website review. HOTM.TV is the place to get the shows. We're uh, a little bit behind on those shows. For those of you who have been wondering, it's because of some internal difficulties, but we're getting through those. They'll be posted soon. We also have BornAgainMormon.com. You can read about what uh, the movement is about, what our uh, doctrines are, which are Christian doctrines, and what we mean by Born Again Mormon. And, of course, you can go to Lord's Word. Org if you want to find out about services that we have here in uh, Utah. Listen, I was a born-again Mormon. It's available at Lifeway Bookstores in Salt Lake City, New Life in Layton, Oasis Books in Logan, Gift of Grace in Springville, uh, utlm.org, of course, Christian Gift and Bible in Sandy, I think, and uh, Sam Wellers in downtown Salt Lake City. Uh, Deseret Book is also carrying I Was a Born Again Mormon. Just kidding. And uh, uh, you can always get the book at uh, www.iwasabornagainmormon.com. Uh, that joke kind of threw me off for a second. Uh, and, of course, if you can't afford it, uh, come to our website, email us, tell us you can't, but you want one, and we'll send one out to you for free. Project Abandoned Ship, I want to read to you a letter that I received. It says, uh, my way out of Mormonism began about 30 years ago. I had been questioning it in my heart of heart for years. I simply did not feel I was growing spiritually. It seemed to me I was more like a social, it was more like a social club rather than a Christian church. I was praying and meditating a lot concerning my dilemma. During that time period, I had a strong born again experience, which gave my life new depth. Something changed my inner life much for the better. I cannot explain it. I was much like the blind man uh, who Christ gave sight to. He said he didn't understand, but he knew he was blind, and now he could see. I was starving for Christ. It seemed I had been deprived all my life. I looked at Mormonism and knew I had been what I had been missing. 
I was now knowing Christ in my heart as my personal Savior, friend, and way shower. I now had my eyes on Jesus and not on the prophet. This was the beginning of my exit. My husband and some family were still Mormon. This is hard situation. I did feel trapped. However, even with this uh, chain of entrapment, it is possible to know peace. And I knew I had had a brush with the divine and deep peace would always be with me. To make a long story short, my husband and I left the Mormon church several years ago. When we had written the letters of resignation and when we're about to mail them, I must confess fear enveloped me. I am sure from childhood Mormon doctrine, I prayed a prayer for protection and faith and I mailed it in. When we were officially off, I felt such great peace and also freedom. This was wonderful for me. When I walked away from the Mormon church, the real Christ of the Bible took my hand. Uh, she signs this, Julie Nelson, a great friend and supporter of the ministry. So uh, again, abandon ship. Get the courage. Send a message to Salt Lake. Listen, take my name off those records. You can go to www.utlm.org to find out the process by which you can uh, do that. What a weekend. On Saturday, we had our Northern Utah Open Water Baptism. Twelve beautiful people came to uh, the uh, waters of baptism, a very cold but beautiful river. It was a beautiful setting, and they professed their undying faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and of an audience of about 60 people. They were Brandon and Kara, Chris, Dan, Rose, Ireland, Angela, Audrey, Megan, Hank, Kevin and Margaret, I praise God that I had the opportunity to be involved in their uh, decision to be baptized and follow what the Lord has told us to do. When we retired, we went to Lucy of Logan's beautiful home and we socialized together with fantastic food and uh, fun and songs and prayer. And I look forward to this event happening again next year. Then yesterday, we sat here for, uh, I guess it was about seven hours straight, and we interviewed... Uh, people straight back to back all day long um, I think there was about 30 and uh, we interviewed and talked to them and they gave their story and it was a great we got we got four and a half hours straight of interviews from people who came out of uh, Mormonism and they tell what happened and what happened in their life we had stories from people who were stalwart we have stories from people who had never sinned in their you know like like other sinners do, uh, like a Mormon wouldn't sin. We had people who were drug addicts, and we had people who were suicidal. We had all types of stories, and we can't wait to start disseminating those stories out to you. Keep uh, watching, and we'll let you know when they're going to be coming. But thank you all for your participation. In Joel chapter 3, verse 14, it reads, quote, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. We want to invite everybody across the state to attend or participate in our Burning Heart Festival, the Day of Decision, this coming September 20th from 3 to 9 p.m. We traditionally have had something we call Heart in the Park. This is Heart in the Park with a changed emphasis. If you are a confirmed Christian, please go to your pastor or your reverend or your preacher and ask them to get involved with this. 
ask them to ask their congregates if they would go and seek out an inactive or lost LDS person in their neighborhood or family or friend and bring them to Burning Heart 08 on September 20th. Ask your pastor to give us an email. We're sending emails out to all of them. We're calling them and asking you to participate. Because what will happen is if there's a church in Riverton and there's a church in St. George and there's a church in Provo and, you, and the congregates invite their LDS friends to come to this and those people, they have the experience of the Spirit and the Lord touches them. When they go back home to Riverton and Provo and St. George, they'll have churches They'll have pastors they will have met there who can say, hey, I'm the pastor who lives in, who has a church in your neighborhood. Nice to meet you. And it's going to be a way to get those people out of the bushes and into having a, an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. We get emails all the time from people telling us, we love your ministry. We want to help. We want to support you. What can we do? I'm telling you right now, this is how you can help. You can come, you can participate, you can volunteer your time, you can ask your pastor or your religious leader if they will come and participate. Go to hotm.tv and you can get information on Burning Heart 08, the Day of Decision, September 20th, Saturday, from 3 in the afternoon to 3 p.m. We're going to have great food. We have food suppliers who are going to bring it in and sell it at a very deep discount. We're going to have jumping booths. We're going to have great music. We're even going to have a pool there for people who want to be baptized if they accept the Lord Jesus Christ, just like they did in Acts. They accepted the Lord. They said, what do we do? And they baptized them that day. This is what we're going to try to do with your help. So please spread this word. We'll get posters out. It's going to be a great time. From a seed grows the tree. From a tree grows the fruit. From the fruit comes another seed. Uh, Joseph Smith, I have maintained, may have started with good intentions, maybe not. But in the end, he had fruit of deception. We see uh, from his fruit of polygamy. We see the FLDS uh, fruit. From his seed of polygamy, we see the FLDS. From his seed of polygamy, we saw Elizabeth Smart being uh, kidnapped and taken up and made the wife of a guy who called himself a prophet. We see all kinds of things springing from these original seeds. Well, if we look in this paper called Prime Time, which is a newspaper to enlighten, educate, and entertain the mature reader, there's a story in it that says seniors should be aware of affinity fraud. And it seems that the largest fraud case in the history of the state of Utah is underway by a guy named Val Sutherland who is uh, accused of perpetrating fraud all through the LDS church. The article says on the wall on his desk was a large, perfectly framed picture of the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On his mahogany desk were the four standard works, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. There was a picture of the Ogden Temple where he served. He, has a, he was a man of great demeanor, and he talked about rubbing shoulders with all these uh, uh, higher-ups, and he was a higher-up in the LDS Church, and he went and he took old people, young people, all people for about $180 million, which they lost completely. Retirement funds completely drained by this guy. And uh, this newspaper, Primetime, reports this. But interestingly enough, on this very same front page, you look at this next article, it says uh, ancient artifacts found in San Pete County. And what it is is there's this guy named Dr. John Heinemann who says that there are these, uh, these mummies that contain metal plates 
and they're all over in that that contain inscriptions in the pure Adamic language. Meaning he's saying that back to Adam, he has found these plates that they have writings that Adam and, and his people were writing on them. And it's right here in Utah, he says. And, and all it does is give credence, and there's a lot of very good interest in these, in these findings in Utah, which show, my goodness, some validity to the Book of Mormon story. And of course, at the end of the article, it says, if you send the author $50, then he, he will send you this outstanding information about these, these ancient artifacts and how they show gold, gold and copper plates were written on back in the time of Adam. From the seed springs a tree, from the tree comes the fruit, from the fruit comes another seed, and it just keeps going and going and going. Last week we had a caller who asked about an apparent contradiction in the Word of God. I said I knew that there was a viable answer, answer to this contradiction, but I couldn't remember what it was. Let me take a minute and explain it to you now. When Paul was traveling along the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter 9 verse 4, it says... And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then it goes on in verse 7. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Okay, that's the first verse. The, those are the first verses. The author of this account was Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and this occurs in Acts chapter 9. The same author, Luke, later on in Acts chapter 22, gives us a different version of that. He says that uh, Saul fell to the ground, and it says, They that were with him saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice that spoke to Paul. So the first verses in chapter 9 say that the men... Uh, heard a voice but saw no man and the next verses in chapter 22 say that they saw a light but heard no voice how could this be this is a contradiction apparent contradiction in the word of god okay the first thing to remember is that luke is recognized even by secular scholars as a great historian so it's doubtful because he penned these accounts that he would mistakenly or purposefully put something in there so flagrant as to say these opposites. So obviously there's got to be a good reason for it. Additionally, the first passage says that those who were with Paul heard a voice but saw no man. This does not mean they understood what the voice said, nor does it mean that they uh, didn't see anything. All it says is they heard a voice and didn't actually see a man, okay? We're all familiar with the experience of hearing voices, but not understanding what those voices were saying. And I think this is the case here. Paul saw a man and heard his voice more than those who were with him, who only saw a light, not a man, and heard a voice, but did not understand what the voice was saying. It's not a contradiction. It's just a, a way of understanding that you can see something. It, it says he didn't see a man, but it didn't say they didn't see a light or didn't see anything. I hope you're following me. And it said that they didn't hear the voice. That means they didn't hear. In Hebrewisms and translated to the Greek, that means they didn't hear. Jesus said you have eyes to see, ears to hear. And he'll, Jesus even said they have ears, but they can't hear. And this is what they're talking about. So the men with Paul, they saw something, but they didn't see the man Paul saw. And then they heard a voice, but they didn't hear and understand what that voice was saying. Perhaps more difficult about this was the caller uh, brought this question to my attention because it was presented to him by the LDS, 
who walk around today telling people in the vein of trying to be Christian that we are Christian. We love the Bible. We love the Bible. We love it. And yet behind the scenes and in debate, they'll bring up things like this to demean the Bible and demean the word of God, uh, which is unconscionable. Never let anyone demean God's word in your presence for heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will surely endure forever. And with that, let's have a prayer as we go into part two of the Trinity. Dear Lord, we love and thank you. We praise you for what you're doing in the state with people coming to you from all over. We pray you'll open eyes and open ears, that you'll touch hearts. People will be uh, uh, converted and you can heal them. We pray your spirit upon those working here, volunteering, our audience, our viewing audience, wherever they may be. In Jesus' name, amen. After the show last week, uh, part one of the Trinity, a faithful viewer said to me, you're a brave man. And I, why is that? I asked. And he said, you're trying to explain an incomprehensible God uh, through the Trinity, which is so difficult. And I sort of just smiled and somebody else said to an audience that spend their time mocking it. So you have to understand, I know that this topic is very tough to get. And it's one of the last things for LDS, people who have been taught that there is no such thing as the Trinity, for them to embrace. Our subject presents some challenges as evidenced by our caller Doral last week. Whenever I said God in the phone conversation, Doral thought Father. He thought only Heavenly Father. He did not think the way Christians think God. These disconnects make discussing the Trinity very difficult with Latter-day Saints. Having been one, I understand. But I also understand that the, the, the fog in your mind as a Latter-day Saint regarding the makeup of God begins to clear after a while, and so we press on. Last week, we established the biblical doctrine that there has always been and always will be just one God. We cited verses like, Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. Listen to this verse. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. That's a great passage that just kind of ties in Jesus, God, the Lord, none before him, none after him, Trinity. The LDS suggests otherwise, both henotheistically, which we talked about last week, by saying that God the Father had a father who had a father, and the belief that they too someday could become gods if they uh, obey all the laws and ordinances of the LDS gospel. Nevertheless, Joseph Smith's teachings do not trump the Bible, and it is safe and right and supported by the Bible that there has always been one God, there will always be one God, and there will never be more than one God. Tonight, we will endeavor to show that the Bible treats the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with all the same attributes assigned to God. Let me point out some things that are mentioned on a website called ConcernedChristians.org. There is only one being. When I'm talking about the Trinity now, there is only one being, God. Okay? 
Within that being, there are three persons. If we forgot, in the book, The Forgotten Trinity, James White writes, quote, when we speak of the Trinity, we are talking about one what, God, and three who's, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One what, three who's. Bible scholar Norman Geisler said, God is unity of essence with plurality of persons. Each person is different, yet they share a common nature. Further, each of the persons within the one God being, that is God, is fully divine. Each of them are completely divine. White wrote, listen, quote, Each fully shares the one being that is God. The Father is not one-third God, the Son one-third God, and the Holy Spirit one-third God. Each is fully God, co-equal with the others, and have been eternally. Now that's a God I can worship. Now the three persons of God do function differently though. But this does not make them inferior to each other. Here is where the LDS think they get the upper hand on the Christian LDS dialogue. Not understanding the three-in-one nature of God and somehow coming to believe that Christians believe in modalism, the LDS will ask questions like this with a smarmy attitude. Well, if the Trinity is correct, who did Jesus pray to? And, you know, they think they're so smart. And, well, he prayed to the Father. What's so difficult about that? We believe that God is three persons, you know, three in one. He prayed to the Father. As human beings created in the image of God, we too are three beings in one. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three in one. Okay? Now the Son was subject to the Father when he took on a body of flesh and became man on our behalf, just as our bodies should be subject to our spirits. Okay, does that make sense? The LDS would have the world believe that being made in God's image means that we look like God and that the eternal almighty God of the universe, creator of all things, overseer of all things, pulls belly button link, uh, lint out of his belly button and trims his nose hair when Heavenly Mother says it's getting too long. This is what they're saying about the eternal almighty God is that he has limited himself in a body of flesh and bone. I have a wound that I got today in my flesh. It hurts. Why is he in a body of flesh and bone? I mean, it is so incomprehensible to me, especially in light of the scripture when Jesus said, God is a spirit. He's a spirit. And they contradict that completely. You cannot reconcile uh, scripture to support this pagan notion. Pagan doctrines have always brought their gods down and they've made them men. They've always been in the form of men. Look at the Greeks and the Romans. Look at Zeus and Prometheus and all these other Greek gods, always in man's image, but not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go to any faithful Jewish rabbi. Go to any faithful uh, Jew who knows the word, who knows the Torah and studies the Torah, and you tell them that God 
the Father, forgetting the Messiah, God the Father has a body of flesh and bone, and you hear their reaction. You'll see scriptural fireworks go off above your head about how blasphemous that is and how limiting that is uh, God being a man. So let's get back to the idea of three and one. And by the way, it is never one and three. Three and one, it is. One and three never is. That's called modalism. That means the father became the son and the son became the spirit and all those things. That was a heresy. And that was one of the reasons they came up with the creeds back in the early church to avoid modalism heresies and Arianism heresies and different heresies that were cropping up. Three and one. Now the LDS missionaries and the apostles and the men they call prophets today have said that Christian creeds corrupted the true identity of God and presented us with this idea of a trinity. Christians know that the creeds were all based on a sound exegetical study of the Bible. They know this and they know that the idea of Trinity, we know the books, the words not in the book, the idea of Trinity is written throughout the scripture. Grab a pencil and jot these down. Check for yourself. Did you know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all described in the Bible as truth with a capital T? The Father in John 7, 28, the Son in Revelation 3, 7, and the Holy Spirit in 1 John 5, 6. Did you know that all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are called Lord? Romans 10, 12, Luke 2, 11, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. They're called everlasting. I won't give you those re references. They're there in my notes. Go on the internet. You can copy all the notes right there. They're all called almighty. They're all called powerful. Holy Spirit, uh, the Son, the Father. Did you know the, etern the eternality uh, is ascribed to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eternality means they have never been created, never. Psalms 92, Micah 5.2, Hebrews 9.14, it ascribes eternality to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. Holiness is an attribute given to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why Isaiah, in Isaiah 6.3, said, Holy, 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 is the Lord. All right? This is Isaiah who would never embrace polytheism or henotheism. This is Isaiah who would only embrace a monotheistic God. And when he wrote, Holy, 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 he's saying, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. Did you know that all three persons are assigned the attribute of omnipresence in the Bible? Omnipresence mean they are everywhere present. I'm going to give you these. The Father is in Matthew 19:26. The Son is described as omnipresent in Matthew 28:18. The Holy Spirit is described as omnipresent in Psalms 139:7. Omnipresence is an attribute that can only be held by God. Did you know that omniscience or knowing all is assigned to all three in the Bible? The Father in Romans 11.33, the Son in Matthew 9.4, the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2.10. Omniscience is an attribute that can only be assigned to God. Did you know, finally, the last though, omnipotence, meaning all-powerful, again is ascribed to all three. The Father in Jeremiah 32.27, the Son in Matthew 28.18, and the, and the Holy Spirit in Romans 15.19. Prior to his ascension, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28.19, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. The Greek is not plural at all. In the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. If it were three separate and distinct individuals, these writers would have said names in the names of. It's in the name of. If three separate gods, it would it, the apostles and the writers did everything they could to fight polytheism. They wrote names specifically to say, we have one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one of the best evidences of the Trinity in that line. As a side note and applicable note, it's interesting that when they did baptisms in the book of Acts, when the apostles baptized a Jew who was a, a, a committed Jew but had accepted the Messiah, they baptized them only in the name of Jesus. They didn't follow the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They only baptized in the name of Jesus. Why? Because the Jews already had been baptized and accepted God the Father and the Holy Spirit. They knew that those existed. They had a problem with the, mess, with the Messiah. And so when they converted to Christianity, they baptized them in the book of Acts only in the name of the Son. However, the people who had such misconceptions about God, who believed in polytheism, the Gentile nations, they baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because they had accepted the true and living God. I mean, I'm telling you, Latter-day Saints, you're dealing with some real ugly stuff because this stuff started coming out in Joseph Smith's life when he was really out there. And this is when he comes up with the King Follett Discourses. The word tells us that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit all have special functions. The Father planned the salvation. The Son accomplished the salvation on the cross and with his resurrection. And the Holy Spirit applies this to the lives of people who believe in their heart in Jesus Christ. There are also circumstances which make the oneness of God difficult. Why Jesus submits to the will of the Father and the Holy Spirit is here to glorify and testify of the Son. But in my limited so scope, I see this as no different than my body subjecting itself to my spirit, if I'm truly trying to live after God, and my soul pushing my body to go beyond my comfort zone to do things. It's one, it's three essences working together as one. Final thought for tonight, each of the three persons of our one God are called God. The Father in Isaiah 9.6, the Son in Isaiah 11.43 and Hebrews 1.8, and the Spirit in Acts 5.3.4. Remember what Thomas said when he came and he saw Jesus and saw the prints in his hands and nails in his feet. He said in John 20.28, 20, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't say, don't call me that. Don't call me that. And they certainly were not polytheistic. Don't believe me. I'm just a guy on TV giving you some facts. Check it out yourself. Go to God tonight and say, listen, open my eyes. I just want to know from you, is this stuff true? Have I the wrong impression of who you are? Give me this impression. This is what I ask for. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20. 801-973-8820. We have callers on the line. If the phone is busy, keep trying. If you get a recording, that means the lines are full, but just keep trying to press through and uh, we'll go from there. I've got a number of emails, but I'm gonna take Samuel, first time caller from Salt Lake City. Samuel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hey Samuel, you're on the air. Okay. I heard you say that we don't believe in that. 
Well, it, it's really not whether you believe in you're saved by grace. It means what you mean by saved. Uh, well, the Bible doesn't define what saving is. It says salvation. Okay. And, uh, you should know that uh, having been a Mormon, we yeah. believe in being saved by grace. Yeah. Under our own power. Wait, wait, wait. What did, what did you say, Samuel? Under your own power? Can't be saved under our own power. Okay. Okay, Samuel, so then explain to me, and you know, having been LDS, I do understand what you're saying. What does it mean to be saved? Uh, you can be saved on a, a, a salvation general basis, or you can be saved uh, by being exalted. Okay, now where does it talk about being saved by salvation as a general basis and salvation as being exalted? You use the Bible as your proof text on me, now I'm using it back on you. Well, in Matthew 19, a rich young man came to talk to Jesus. Yeah. And he says, what can I do to be saved? Yeah. Jesus says, well, keep the commandments and uh, so on. Yeah. You know where that is. Yeah. Uh, if the guy had walked away at that point, he would have, been, he would have known what to do to be saved, right? Uh, and the man says, well, I've done all these, what else can I do? Yeah. Okay. Want treasure in heaven? Uh, sell all you have, sacrifice, and follow me. Okay. I think he was uh, evidently he was telling, uh, showing him a secondary salvation, a higher law. I I think I differ completely with you, Samuel. Having just taught that and studied it completely, and I think that uh, what actually Jesus was showing the young man is that. He wasn't capable of salvation. This, this actual experience, if you read on past that, you'll see the apostles are like, who can be saved? And what did Jesus say? With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus' purpose in talking to this rich young man, as he did everybody, was to get them to come to him, to realize that no matter what they do, they are sinful, and they've got to come to him in order to be saved. Well, they do, but they just rearrange what salvation means. You see, the problem is, is that you have also rewritten, or Joseph rewrote, the definition of saved, because what you say is saved means to get a resurrected body, but it doesn't mean to go live with God. It doesn't mean to live in heaven. And the Bible doesn't specify what it, saved means. I think the Bible does specify what saved means. Jesus says if you... Okay. Well, see, well, so because the Bible doesn't tell you that... It, uh, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not see the uh, kingdom of God. If you believe in your heart and you will be saved, because it doesn't specify, that opens up a door for a man to say, listen, I want to tell you what happens after this world. And you put all of your belief, hook, line, and sinker in what he said, that there's kingdoms, okay? And so salvation means you get a resurrected body, but salvation does not mean that you get to live with God. So what it does is it puts you on an effort treadmill, and it takes away the peace and rest that Jesus gives anybody who comes to him. And this is a, this is a different gospel, Samuel. So I don't, you know, all your, all your things are really nice. And I know how you're, you think you're making sense here. But in the context of the Bible, you are really far off. You have to embrace Joseph's mini uh, kingdom uh, idea in order to accept this idea that salvation just means a resurrected body. 
And so if you accept this many-level kingdom idea of Joseph's, you also have to accept what he says you need to do to go to those kingdoms. And if you accept those things, that means you are doing temple rites in order to achieve the top one, which means more of things that Joseph said you had to do in order to get there. And you become a slave to doctrines of Joseph Smith. We're straying from my question, though. I'm wondering why you didn't specify the LDS view because salvation is not the same in that you don't believe you can be saved. If I said on this show, and our Christian viewers all over the world actually watch the show, if I said Mormons believe that you are saved by grace, it would, it would cause an uproar in their little minds, or their big minds, because they would think I'm saying that Mormons believe you are go and live with God in heaven and escape hell simply by the grace of God. And in Mormonism, that is not true. No, it's not. We believe that we, uh, if it weren't for the atonement, we would not be able to. You wouldn't be able to. Okay, Samuel, let's play that game. If it weren't for the atonement, you wouldn't be able to go and live. That's fine. But what else do you have to do in addition to accepting that atonement, that shed blood of Jesus Christ, to live with the Father again? What do you have to do, Samuel? Have to do what it says in Matthew 25. Okay, Matthew 25 says nothing about a new and everlasting covenant. I'm talking about that. I'm telling you what the LDS say you have to do, okay? It doesn't say anything about the new and everlasting covenant. Right then and there. Let's just agree on that. Because this is the point, Samuel. You have added to the cross. You have added tithing, Sabbath day, all kinds of home teaching. The Bible tells us to pay our tithing. The Bible never says to pay your tithing in the New Testament. Show me that, and, 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 and I'll buy you a tithing's worth of dinner. That's not true. In the New Testament, when in the Old Testament, we have our Ten Commandments. Weren't the Ten Commandments expanded when Jesus came? Didn't, doesn't first, Second Corinthians say, look, give cheerfully, or don't give at all? Where does tithing come in? It was resurrected to put you under another rule that you have to do to reach heaven. You're under law. You are under a burden of law, Samuel. And as the longer I keep hearing myself talking, I'm getting bored with it, I just keep showing you point after point after point of how you have taken the old covenant, Joseph did, and he put it back on you people. And you're in bondage. And you don't know the freedom and liberty that comes with Christ. Where Paul said, hey, when I came to Christ, I have done more in his name when I escaped out from under that bondage. You think you're doing a lot, Samuel, because you're LDS and follow those rules? Become a Christian, understand what it means, and you will be given your all to doing it. Well, I've been able to heal gangrenous feet when people were healed, and doctor, doctors that were going to cut it off weren't uh, uh, decided not to because uh, through a blessing I healed it. Sam, Samuel, I want to point out something very clear to you, which is a great mistake that most LDS make. You didn't heal a damn thing. God healed. You said twice, I healed, and I was able to. You didn't heal anybody, buddy. You got it all wrong, and, and the LDS have it wrong. You're looking at your priesthoods. God said, hey, we have Samuel who are praying for this person. I'm going to heal this person. It had nothing to do with you. I think you know what I mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and that's why I'm arguing it. Okay, we're going to go on, Samuel. Appreciate the call. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to Nate in Bountiful. Nate, you're on Heart of the Matter. All right, go ahead. Your... Nate? Hello? You're on the air. Hi. Hi. I uh, 
would like to know your opinion about the notion of pre-existence in the Mormon religion. The, uh, the, my opinion of the teaching of it? Oh, just exactly what, uh, what the notion is. Well, the teaching or the notion, as you call it, in Mormonism is that we, that, uh, well, first of all, in a nutshell, matter has always existed, and anything that is real is considered matter. That includes you. So you have always existed. God reached out with his wives, and they gathered matter, spiritual matter, and they created spirit bodies. And in those spirit bodies, we could see as spirits, according to the LDS teachings, that God had a body of flesh and bone, and we wanted to be like him. So he came up with a plan. You can come down to an earth and get a body and be like me. That is the pre-existence. We decided to come down and get that body. They support it by a couple text, proof texts, they say, Jeremiah 1.5 and another one in John, which talks about the transmigration of souls, which was a, a, a Jewish myth. But in any case, that's their idea of, that's their notion of a pre-existence. Yes, it is. It is that exactly. We, we, were, we existed as spiritual beings. Joseph Smith said we look like we do in our spirit as we do here on this earth. And then we decided to come down here and take bodies. Yes, that is their notion. Considering the state of the earth as it is, why would we do such a thing? Yeah, not only that. Well, we, wa we wanted to progress. God gave the plan, so they say we were faithful in coming here and in, in following God. The thing that I wonder about, which is really interesting to me, is they say we lived in this pre-existence and the valiant souls who came to this earth became LDS and were blessed to live in this nation. They, and, and, and then the lesser souls were placed in lesser places. So why would someone who's going to starve to death in Africa come down here who would never accept the gospel? Why would somebody up there? I, I, that's the one I don't get. And if their idea of the pre-existence was really true, then people who are born here starving on the streets without limbs and of a different color and without money, they are the very best, really, if you think about it, because it took a lot more chutzpah for them to come down here and take on this experience than the valiant, white-skinned, blue-eyed Mormons say. So they've got a big difference in this idea of a pre-existence, but they just accept it and talk about it and say, you were... You know, you were part. You were born the Mormon, so you were part of the the valiant in the pre-existence, and it's just. Uh, well, regardless of where we come down to live, I mean, there is nowhere on this earth that is all that blessed to be. Yeah, I mean, every time I think of it, I hit my hand with a, a hammer. I think, and yeah, wow, glad I took that plan. You know, the, all, the pain and all that stuff is a part of the fall. It's not a part of God's plan. Children being raped and murdered is part of the fall, not part of God's glorious plan for us to become like him, you know. And they, they uh, so I don't, that allows me to take God and ascribe no sinister nature to him and to love him and worship him as all good and to ascribe all the evil that goes on this world to the acts of men and the fall. Uh, under the LDS notion of a preexistence, you have to take everything that happens and point to God and say, hey, you're, you're letting it go on because it's for our good. Don't understand that whatsoever. Great call. I appreciate it. Well, I guess you're hanging up on me now. No, I'm just moving on, man. We got a lot of calls. I appreciate your call greatly. All right. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> they make me feel bad. I mean, all right. Uh, we're going to Rick. You're on Heart of the Matter. 
Hey, it's not very Christian to hit your hand with a hammer, Musty Clam. Oh, I know. Thanks, Rick. Musty Clams made a resurrection. Oh, we haven't had that in a while. All right, let's go to Jerry in Spanish Fork on line four. Jerry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, I got a couple of questions for you. Okay, uh, hold on one second. You're on the, a great line. Go ahead. Okay. I want to know who the Mormons, the uh, LDS people pray to. Is it the Alpha Omega, Elohim, Adam God, or Great Grandpa? <laughs> yeah, it's a great okay. question. Great Grandpa. I mean, Great Grandpa was perfect. You know, he went and he became God. And my second question is, Explain Ezekiel 37.16 to me, the two sticks. The two sticks? The two Sim sticks. Simple answer, uh, northern and southern kingdom of Judah. Okay. If you read through past the uh, passages in uh, chapter 37, you'll read that it all applies to Judah, and it has nothing to do with the Mormons' uh, use of it, the missionaries' use of it, that one represents the Book of Mormon and one represents... They want to talk the... about Joseph Smith? Do I want to? No, no, no. It says Joseph. Oh, the stick of Joseph? Scripture talks about Joseph. The stick of Joseph? No, no. Oh, okay, never mind. No, I... Uh, okay, tell me, tell me which God they pray to. Tell you what? I'm sorry. Tell me which God the eldest people pray to. Well, they could pray to all of those in, 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 depending on what your uh, attitude is toward them. They could pray to Elohim, who they say is the father. They could pray to their grandfather because he would be kind of their great, 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 great grandfather. They could be praying to the Alpha and the Omega because they do ascribe him being first and last, even though that really is applied to Jesus too. And then the fourth one was what? Uh, Adam God. Adam God. Uh, yeah, that one doesn't apply. I don't think they pray to Adam God, and I don't think any Mormon would say we ever prayed to Adam God, unless it was Brigham Young. Oh. Does well, that, that help? That, that does. I was just curious. Hey, good call. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. We're going to Melissa in Riverton, first-time caller. Melissa, you're on Heart of the Matter. Melissa? Yeah. You're on the air. Yeah. I probably would have picked some rich person that, you know, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Yeah, I mean, like, like, why did, why did uh, Prince Charles get to be the prince? I mean, I, I wanted that position, you know. It, but I, Joseph Smith said that families were organized in the pre-existence, and uh, we came down here and we as the family. So I think uh, the picking, I'm not sure if it was picking parents as much as it was assigned. Well, the beautiful thing is uh, there aren't too many uh, active drug addicts in the LDS church, so they never have to answer that question from them. Uh, they, you know, they usually get rid of them before they become real heavily addicted. I'm being real cynical tonight. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, the, the pre-existence thing, when you start playing it out, for instance, I am a child of God, their favorite hymn, Spencer W. Kimball said, it's my favorite hymn, I am a child of God, and he has sent me here, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. Well, some people's parents are not kind and dear. They're real jerks. Lead me, guide me, walk beside me, help me find the way, teach me all that I must do, do, to live with him someday. It's uh, heresy all the way through. Good call. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye. We're going to Bill, first-time caller. Bill, you're on Heart of the Matter. I, yes, I have a, a question you, you can answer for me. Bill, turn your TV down or okay. turn oh, off the spaceship. One second. Bill's visiting us from Pluto. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, I had a question about Revelation, if you could uh, answer me on um, uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 14. I'm becoming the Bible answer man, and I'm not equipped. I'm not a scholar. I have to study things out, and I don't remember things that well uh, because I wasn't raised with the Bible. I can give you a Book of Mormon stuff pretty good, but okay, Revelation 13 what? Chapter 4, no, 3, chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3... Verse 14. And unto the, uh, okay, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. My question is, yeah, my question is, um, it seems, because my friend had a, a, a he was wondering, because he don't believe in the Trinity, and, and, when he reads that, he's trying to say that, that Jesus was created. He was the first creation of well, God. Jesus was the first. Jesus was the I first. I don't know how to turn. You got. You got to turn the TV down, man. The the Jesus was the first fruits of God. He was the Son of God. He came down and took on a body of flesh. So if you want to read the scripture in that way, then you could you could justify it by saying he was his only begotten Son. And so I don't I don't have a problem with uh, with that. But I don't think that's what it's saying. And this is a revelation of Christ speaking, so I'm not sure that's what it says. Again, I would have to study that out to find out. Okay. Hey, All thank, right, well, thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Right, okay, we're going to Tom and Nephi. Tom, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Musty Clam, what up? Tom? Oh, boy. One one jumps on the bandwagon and everybody comes out to party. We're going to Donald in Salt Lake City. Donald, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, Donald. How are you? You know, I can't imagine people calling and, you know, intelligent people doing that. I can't either, Don. <laughs> Sean, I, uh, you know, I'm LDS, but I'm not active. Okay. Hard religion for me to live. I like to have my glass of wine at night, and I like to have a cup of coffee in the morning. You say I the same. Do anything worse than that, Don? You say that same line every yeah, time you I call. Know, but I want to ask it's you. It's like a, a stand-up comedian thing, you know. <laughs> All right, go Let me ahead. Ask you a question. I like to listen to these televangelists, you know, the Reverend John Hagee and Jensen Franklin and and some of the brethren. But uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago, a fellow called in, and he. Uh, he mentioned something about the lavish lifestyle they lead and the big mansions they live in and the expensive cars and diamond rings they wear. Yeah. And, I, you know, there's one in particular, and his name is Benny Hinn. Yeah. And I remember a few years ago when he came back from Africa, he had this campaign going where he was going to, he wanted to raise all these millions of dollars to build this school in Africa and uh, supply it, you know, be one of the most 
when he pulled schools in Africa. Well, I think it was 60 minutes corner him at the airport when he came back, and they had to see the great body. He said, yeah, we followed you on this trip over there. He said, you supplied books to about 30 kids. And he had all these millions and millions of dollars, and they had it through the grapevine, and he'd hired three or four more members of his family for, I think, as a minimum salary, like $2 million a year. Yeah. But uh, there's another one that I really enjoy listening to, and his name is John Hagee. Maybe you know who he is. I know who he is, yeah. But uh, he mentioned something. He was talking about different religions, you know, and how false they are and the different things. But he also mentioned something about the Catholic Church, and he said, and then there's the Catholic Church, the great whore. And I Probably quoting said, McConkie. I don't know what he meant by that. To this day, it puzzles me. Really? You're well, LD. I'll ask you what he said, and then there's the Catholic Church, the great whore. You know, he's probably referring to it, uh, the Catholic Church as being the whore of Babylon, which is referenced in, uh, in Revelation. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think that's very kind. But I I'm, didn't either. I had friends who were Catholics, and I, I told one of them about it. They took quite offense to it. I watched him on <laughs> Don't blame them. He's well read about the Bible. I like to listen to him. Yeah. He knows a lot. The, uh, but, He's very well read, but I never could quite figure out why he well, well, that. you know, McConkie said that, too. So it did? Uh, yeah, he did. Mormon Doctrine, uh, 1956. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they changed it later, but McConkie said it, too. It's, it's kind of what a lot of, I mean, it used to be very popular in the eight, uh, 19th century. Really? Christi yeah, to I call. never heard that before. That's why I thought, but, well, I'll call you because you're so well read. Well, you know what? Uh, let me uh, say something regarding the, uh, the pastors and the money. Uh, that verse I just read prior uh, about the Laodiceans, that word Laodicea means the people speak. Did you know that? And the people speak, it means that in the last days, the church will care more about the words of men and all the pomp and circumstance, and they want to hear that rather than hear the word of God. So it was prophesied in Revelation that we were going to have these times in the church. It's ugly, it's sick, and, and, uh, but it's part of, of what Jesus said would happen. But, you know, there's several others I really enjoy listening to. That's Jack Van M.P. Uh -huh. And then there's another fellow, and I can't remember his name. He's got white hair, little on the hippie side. He's very, very well read. He's just really, huh. it's enjoyable to listen to him. Oh, good. Try Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith? Yeah, he's excellent. Look him up on the Internet if you get it. Okay, Sean, I'll do that. Hey, thanks for the call. Hey, God bless, pal. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That man should be in radio. I tell you, it's just like, uh... Thank you for calling. We're going to line one with Owen. Owen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Owen. I got on. You did. Hey, I've got a question about uh, Isaiah 44 and 45, you, uh, or a comment. Yeah. Those uh, chapters. Yeah. Um, as I read those scriptures, I, I have no problem with those. Uh-huh. I, uh, I see those as uh, referring to, like, the Ten Commandments where, where God says, uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh-huh. So I, uh, I think what he's, if you read uh, Isaiah chapter 44, 45, it's all about graven images. Yeah, it is. Uh, people have been worshiping idols, graven images, and so, so uh, I don't think it's uh, necessarily a fact that you're, that, that uh, we need to uh, construe that into being uh, other gods out in the universe. Well, God's many. God's many, but for us, there's one God. No, but the, there's a couple things to clarify. First of all, when we're, you're saying that Isaiah 45 talks about... Uh, 44 and 45. 
uh, no, I, oh, 44 and 45, right, talks about idolatry, and you're saying that it's putting that in the context that he's just talking about idols here on earth. But, you know, Isaiah wasn't the first prophet to come along, and idolatry was early on, so there were idols prior to him saying that. So I don't agree that he's speaking of earthly idols. He's talking about God. Well, he, it's an upper... Look at the scripture, uh, or those chapters, all through there, he keeps talking about... Uh, uh, it's okay, that was the context. He's talking about idols, but he says... I am the Lord, capital L, there is no God, capital G, and no Savior beside me, capital S. So we're talking, he's talking about ever any. He's not talking about idols. Uh, and, well, throughout the scriptures, uh, uh, capital or otherwise, throughout those... You sound like Alan. What? You sound like Alan. Oh, yes, well, I wondered if you're huh? ever going to say that. I'm his Alan's twin. Brother. Oh, you're Alan's brother. You guys share notes or something? Yeah, we're, we're, well, I was watching your program, but if you don't believe I've got a, that I'm a twin... Oh, no, I believe you. We'll I, have to meet together for lunch sometime. I, I believe you. Uh, also, you Paul... Know, if you've seen me, you've seen my twin. Oh, gosh. Hey, uh, Owen, the other thing you use, Paul, that's the lowercase g when he says Lord's many, lowercase l, lowercase God's many. He's talking about there are all kinds of gods and lords. We see them all the time. That's true. But there is only one God. And you're right, the Book of Mormon does talk about one God. Yeah, but Joseph didn't, Owen. Joseph started talking about many later on in life. This is something in the least they could cut out of the doctrine. In the least. I got time for one more question. No, we got one minute left. But you know what? Call back next week. Keep trying. You haven't been banned. I like you better than Alan. Oh, well, well I'm the same, actually. You're the same? But, uh, you can call me a jerk, too, if you want. But, uh... <laughs> no, you're not the same. You're a different, you're a different demeanor. All right, you take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, Tony, West Valley City, I think I left you hanging last time, but uh, we've got to leave you hanging again. Listen, please uh, try to get behind Burning Heart. It's a statewide uh, movement to get the churches involved. We're asking your churches to come down and get a space. We'll provide the tent. They have some literature about where they are, who they are. We're going to bring all the pastors up on the stage and, and, and introduce them and tell them, where are you from? We're from Sandy Community Church. We're from this. We're from that. And so people in the audience who are invited by the congregates of that, of that denomination can see who's, the, who's there and link them in to a church across the state. So we need your help. We also need your help if you want to uh, help us to do things then, to set up, to take down, to serve, to do whatever it is. If you have musical abilities, write us. We like to hear about what you can do there. It's going to be a bigger event that's going to grow and grow, and the sole purpose is to make it a day of decision, a day for people to come to the Lord. One final quote, Gordon B. Hinckley said, in bearing testimony of Jesus Christ, he said, I do not believe in the traditional Christ. No, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak, talking about Christians, is not the Christ of whom I speak. For the Christ of whom I speak has been revealed in this, the dispensation of the fullness of times, meaning through Joseph Smith. Chew on that one for a while. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
break my rusty cage and run.